Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Samuel Emanuel Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sam Reimer. And I'm Manny Manuel. Last week, we dipped our toe into the wizarding world. And this week, we will be uh, we will going up just a little bit further, I guess, uh, up, up to the ankle, if you will. Uh, we're going to be talking about the second installment in uh, the Harry Potter series. That's Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Manny, you excited to talk about this one? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Well, that doesn't bode well. Uh, Manny, uh, can you please tell the people where they can find us on social media or if they're looking for any other ways to listen to the podcast, uh, any other information you can give them like that? Sure. They can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. They can find us on Facebook at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. They can find us wherever they want to get their podcasts, whether it be uh, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Luminary. Wherever you get your podcast, you can probably find us. Just search for us at the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. You can email us as well at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Is that it? That's it. That's great. That's that's nice, cool, concise, compact. Yeah. Perfect. Manny, uh, you uh, were up to a little bit this week. Uh, not quite as much on the watch list as normal. Uh, well, speaking of lists being compact, uh, what, what did you watch this week? Yeah, I only got to see, only got to see three movies this week. I, I've, three. I found myself being very very picky when it comes to the movie i've been watching uh i'm finding it hard to just kind of slip into something so i decided to revisit uh, a best picture nominee from last year i watched ford v ferrari sam you still haven't seen this have you oh i've seen this one. Oh, you have seen this one okay yeah. uh this was j- i shouldn't say that. i was actually about to say this was just as good as i remembered but i would actually say it was not quite as good as i remembered but I still thoroughly enjoyed it, and I honestly am still incredibly impressed by both Matt Damon and Christian Bale's performance. And I love the sound design, and I really enjoyed the cinematography. There's really great camera movements in here, especially when it comes to the racing. Um, this movie's just fun. It's great. It's a really great watch, and I honestly just can't... I. I honestly can't heap enough praise on Bale and his performance. Did he get nominated? I'm pretty sure that he did. I'll quickly check because I got it right here. Uh, where is it here? Uh, well, one, two Oscars, probably for sound design. Oh, yeah, sound editing. No, he didn't get a nomination. He got a Golden Globe nom. One so fil- me. For some reason, I had it in my head that he definitely got nominated. Yeah. I guess Bale just, just seems like one of those names that will always get nominated when, or will often get nominated when he's in a role. Yeah. Up for Best Picture, one for Sound Editing, one for Film Editing. That makes sense. Uh, and then uh, didn't win for, obviously didn't win Best Picture, didn't win for Sound Mixing. Uh, yeah, an absolutely thoroughly enjoyable movie. I I had a blast. I I I I totally love this movie. And I I also want to point out Tracy Letts as Henry Ford. Um I don't I don't know is I I'm trying to think of is his performance maybe my favorite one of the movie? He's so fucking good. Yeah. Do you remember where you had this on your top 10 of the year by the way last year? I don't. I want to say it was was it in my top 10? It must have been number 10. Nope, number 10 was yesterday on your list. Oh, I fucking love yesterday. I can tell you right now it'll be higher. It's yeah, it's, it's not my top five. No, it's no. Uh, it's number nine. It's right ahead of yesterday. Yeah, that would definitely 
yesterday would be a lot higher on my list. Yesterday mm-hmm. continues to grow. That movie, while not good, is a movie that I'm going to rewatch constantly. Yeah, honestly, going back and looking at my list, it, it, we, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Last year was absolutely extraordinary for movies. It was a really, really good year for movies. Uh, and yesterday was fantastic. And I'm looking at my top 10. I don't think I can find a spot for it. I don't. I, st- I loved yesterday and I still don't think it would be in my top 10. <laughs> it, it might. I would say it probably would get an honorable mention. Yeah, it would get an honorable mention. No. Nice. Nice. Oh, and now I need to go back and listen to our top 10 episode. Yeah, those are those are the funnest episodes, aren't they? They really are. They're just chock full of surprises and drama. They really they really are. I did tell you I re-listened to our '96 year in review episode. Oh, really? Oh, it's so good. Any good? <laughs> it's so. <laughs> it's honestly so good. Oh, it's so good. Just just self promotion out the wazoo up in here. Uh, but yeah, Ford v Ferrari is one that last year I was impressed by. I liked it. I thought it was a good movie, but it. For me, it wasn't even in the same league as a lot of those other Best Picture nominees, to be honest. Um, I, I thought it was a is a good quality sports movie that I would definitely watch again. It was a lot of fun, had a lot of good performances, and some really good cinematography. I also thought it was super cheesy, and a lot of the dialogue had me rolling my eyes. It was, from a story perspective, I didn't find it to be anything innovative or out of the ordinary. Uh, I thought it was just fine. And then from a technical perspective, it was very good. It was a very, it was one of the best versions of what it is, and what it is is a cheesy sports movie, in my opinion. I wouldn't go cheesy. Not cheesy? No. No. I've definitely, for me, cheesy is something like fucking Rookie of the Year or any of the fucking Mighty Ducks movies or, <laughs> and th- those so are bad movies. Yeah. Hmm. I can I can any fans of the Mighty Ducks franchise. I don't. Fuck you guys. <laughs> Uh, the other movies I've been watching, I'm getting a head start on our next year in review because, like I've mentioned, uh, there are roughly about 40 films for 1995 that I would like to try and get through before we do that. And even though our 1995 year in review miniseries is really far away, I still really want to try and get as many done as possible. So I watched... Uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance, a movie I hadn't seen in actually a very long time. And fuck me, I forgot how good it is. It's really fucking good. Have you seen Die Hard with a Vengeance, Sam? No, I've only seen the first two Die Hards. First two? Sam, I'm going to tell you right now, I know that you're a big fan of John McClane. Mm -hmm. Definitely watch this when you get a chance. It's it's really fun. It's obviously, obviously, not as good as Die Hard because... Let's be honest, nothing is. Die Hard is the greatest action movie ever made. If mm-hmm. anybody disagrees with that, then you don't know what you're talking about. Um, <laughs> Die Hard with a Vengeance is an absolute, absolute, complete and utter thrill and joy ride. It does start, it has a couple things in it that have always bothered me, uh, which I won't get into because uh, I don't want to spoil anything for you. But watching... <clears throat> Watching Bruce Willis and Samuel Jackson play off one another in this movie is an absolute treat. And it's a movie that I think that you would I, I think that you would definitely have a lot of fun with Sam. Whether or not it will make your top ten of nineteen ninety five, I don't know. But it's a movie that I 
I feel pretty confident in saying that if you watched it, you'll be happy that you did. Yeah. And you generally have a pretty good feel for those sorts of things. Yeah. We've been doing these episodes for 116 weeks now. So <laughs> <laughs> you generally have a good idea about that. But uh, yeah, if we if we ever have an excuse to maybe watch Die Hard 2, maybe I will find an excuse to watch Die Hard 3. Yeah. He said hintingly with a heavy dose of foreshadowing. Yeah, I, I don't know what would ever prompt us to want to watch uh, Die Hard 2, but I'm sure we could find some reason. We, we could find some reason for sure. Yeah, that sure. not everybody would agree with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hint, hint. Okay, uh, and then the last movie I watched is a movie I've mentioned to you before, but uh, it's a movie that we contemplated doing with this other theme that we we're talking about that we, all, we might leave because maybe we'll end up doing it down the road. But the movie is The American President. Uh, it's directed by Rob Reiner. And written by this guy that you and I, I don't think we like all that much. His name's Aaron Sorkin. Who? Yeah. Never. Is he some up-and-comer? Yeah. Yeah. This was his, uh, this was his writing debut. No, for anybody that's listened to this, we, they all know that we are absolute lovers of Aaron Sorkin's scripts. And while this I would not elevate to the same level as some of his other things, there are moments two in particular that truly showcase how great of a writer Sorkin is. Um, I, I'm, not, they're not, I'm not spoiling the moments, but there is a moment. The movie is, the premise is also really fun. Um, it's about uh, a U.S. president who's a widow who decides to date again while being the president during an election year. Oh, damn. Yeah, it's, it's you can... This could be labeled as a romantic comedy, but I don't find it has like a Sorkin comedy to it. It's not. It's not like a. I would never label this as a rom com, with the exception being that the romance is the main is plot one A. With one B being Michael Michael Douglas, who plays the president, who. Come on, is he's got to be what top five best people to play a president? Like, I was just going to say when you said that Michael Douglas was was the president in it, I wasn't even surprised for a second, and it's weird that I'm not surprised by that. Yeah, oh, he but. he like he plays it really well. He plays being a president really well, and I'd have to double check. Could you actually, while I just talk a little bit, would you mind checking for me when the West Wing started? Uh, what, I actually have it right here. It's ninety nine to two thousand six. Uh-huh. Uh, so that was that was when Sorkin was on it anyway. Yeah. So Sorkin. Well, Sorkin's. I I'm almost positive Sorkin wrote the whole series. And, yes. I, I he for some reason I had it in my head he didn't in the later seasons. No, I'm wrong. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It was ninety nine to 06 West Wing aired. Okay. Well, the chief of staff in this movie is played by Martin Sheen, who plays the president for I think like the first three or four seasons of the West Wing. That's interesting. This movie is like Sorkin testing the water. I, I feel like this is Sorkin testing the waters for what he could do in the West Wing. This movie is a lot of fun. It's very lighthearted. And like I said, there's there's two scenes that really highlight Sorkin's gift as a screenwriter. There's this incredible scene in the Oval Office with Michael Douglas and Michael J. Fox uh, Michael J. Fox just fucking killing it. 
and then there's a monologue by uh, Michael Douglas at the end of the movie, uh, basically kind of closes out the movie that is just spectacular. It's just this long dialogue that he gives, and it's worth the price of admission alone. This movie is one that I would almost I would almost label it as a guilty pleasure because I don't feel that this is a great movie, but it's one that I can watch over and over again. Especially the um uh the chemistry between Annette Benning, who looks spectacular in this movie. Uh, the chemistry between her and Michael Douglas is really great. And the supporting cast uh, with Martin Sheen, uh, David Tamer, and Michael J. Fox being absolute standouts in this movie. Um, I, I'm just a, I'm, it's just a movie that I really, really great. <clears throat> sorry, not really great. Really, really enjoyed. It's, it's light and it's fun. And yeah, if anybody's looking for something... If you're looking for something light and fun, I think The American President is a great way to go. Yeah, it sounds like an interesting one. I don't know anything about it, which is always nice for an Aaron Sorkin movie. Um, I spent way too much looking this fact up, so I do need to share it, even though it's no longer relevant. Aaron Sorkin left The West Wing in 2003. Okay. I spent a lot of time trying to find that while you were talking, so I just needed to share that. <laughs> Fair enough. The West Wing is in my... I might even go top three... No, it is top three. Top three TV series that I've never seen that I want to watch as soon as possible. Is the newsroom also on there? Because the newsroom's on there for me. No, the, I've I own I own and have seen the newsroom all three seasons several times. Is it as good as I hear it is? The first season is absolutely spectacular and worth watching. Mm -hmm. Season two is good, and season three is I'm pretty sure they knew they were done, and so they tried to wrap up some stuff that they had going. But season, Are there only three seasons? There's or? only three seasons. Okay. Um, I would definitely recommend it. Anybody that likes Aaron Sorkin scripts, anybody that likes Aaron Sorkin writing, uh, the newsroom uh, is something that you will thoroughly enjoy. Would you say Social Network is Sorkin's masterpiece up to this point in his career? Yes. Yeah. With I mean, with when it comes to movies, yes, mm -hmm. because I can't. Without having seen The West Wing, which won literally, well, I shouldn't say literally, but like... Just every Emmy. <laughs> yeah, like every Emmy in the world. <laughs> um, I would... Oh, wow. I, I couldn't even imagine. Oh, there's a... Wow. There's a, uh, a Aaron Sorkin scripted movie I've never seen. That's surprising to me. Yeah. We'll have to rectify that. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm definitely and then actually a new movie that he wrote and directed uh, just got bought by Netflix and I think it's coming out in October. You know, I've never seen Molly's Game actually. What? Yeah, it's about fucking poker. I know. Well, I didn't like poker when it came out. <laughs> I've only been playing poker for like two years. If it's still on Netflix, you should launch that towards the top of your must-watch list. Really? Well, I mean, it is it is Sorkin, so that makes sense. Not that, again, not that it's a movie that I think is going to be one of your all-time favorites. I think it's a movie that you will, once again, thoroughly enjoy. Hmm. I love, okay. I love, but Molly's Game, I, I honestly don't know who directed it, but it's got one of my favorite, it's got one of my favorite actresses, probably top five, if not top three, and it's written Just by Sorkin. Yeah, and it's, and it's written by Sorkin. 
and also has one of my f- another one of my favorite actors in a small role, but Kevin Costner, who I fucking love, unabashedly and without irony, love Kevin Costner. Um, you do know who directed Molly's Game. Maybe you don't know who directed it, but you know who he is. I know the director. Because, well, you don't know him as a director. You know him as the writer, Aaron Sorkin. Oh, shit, direct- I did know that. It was his directorial debut. Fuck, I knew that. God damn it. Get your head in the game, Manny. God damn it. <laughs> and that's all I've been watching. Right on. That's enough Aaron Sorkin knob slobbery for one day. I know. I kept it <laughs> I kept it short and sweet this time. Cheers. Um whereas three movies was not a lot for you, it was actually quite a bit for me. I watched three <laughs> I watched three movies this week and I frankly I feel exhausted by it. Um First movie that I watched, uh, actually, I meant to talk about this while I was in, uh, or last week, because technically I watched it while I was in Kamloops, so technically this was two weeks ago, but I watched Mulan with some of my friends. We just wanted to have a chill night, and uh, we we wound up watching Mulan on Disney+, Plus, the original 1998 version, and man, that movie just gets me, it gets me so hyped up every time. It's still one of my all-time childhood favorites. Uh, it, I feel bad that it kind of falls through the cracks when people talk about uh, Disney 2D animation and sort of this golden age of Disney, especially in the 90s. Uh, People always tend to gravitate towards like Lion King and Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid. And yeah, those are all those are all great movies. But Mulan, for some reason, is never on like on or near the top of people's lists of greatest Disney movies ever. And I got to say, it's spectacular. And I've said this before and I'll say it again. But I'll make a man out of you is the best song in any Disney 2D animated movie. Period. It's 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 better than anything in The Lion King. It's better than it's better than anything in Little Mermaid. It's fucking. It's just a great hype track. It's fantastic. <laughs> That's an idea for an episode. Is our top ten Disney movies 2D animation? Yeah, like Disney outside Pixar. Yeah, like Dis- Disney Disney proper. Yeah, Disney proper. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not sure I could throw 10 movies on there. <laughs> I'm sure I could. But, I mean, most of these Disney movies I haven't seen since I was a kid. Very few of them I rewatch with any sort of regularity. I'd I... say The Lion King and Mulan are probably the only two Disney 2D animated movies I rewatch regularly. Interesting. Well, if we do Disney proper, like this, if we do Disney proper, can't be a Pixar film, that mm-hmm. you can, that means you could include the Frozen films, Moana, Zootopia. I think those are the only new ones they've released. I've not uh, seen any of those movies you just listed. Really? Yeah. Still haven't seen Zootopia. Still haven't seen Moana. And still haven't seen. Oh, I've seen. Sorry, I've seen Frozen. I've seen Frozen. Wow. Yeah. I can again. Oh, those are two that I would recommend. Oh, and shit, you can you, you can actually throw in the Wreck It Ralph movies as well. Okay, I've seen the first one. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so that was that was Mulan. Uh, I always have a fantastic time with this movie. I've seen it a zillion times. I haven't seen uh, Mulan in forever. Like you haven't for, seen Mulan in forever? In forever. For some reason, I had it in my head that you had just rewatched it, but I must be wrong about no, that. No, I had a plan to, mm-hmm. and then Maya didn't want to. What? Yeah. Listen here, Maya. <laughs> well, that's too bad. She, she didn't want to watch it, eh? What a fucking bitch. I think Mulan sets a great example for... Uh, she's a great role model for, uh, for young women. That's that's my opinion. She's a she's a badass. She fucking saves China. Sorry, spoiler alert for Andy Mulan. <laughs> what? Just kidding. China crumbles to the ground, and it was never heard from again. Thank you, COVID. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what moving, else? You, what else? Moving you got? right along. 
Uh, I also had to go back to another old favorite, unfortunately. Well, not really, unfortunately, because it's so fucking good. But I just, I really wanted to watch this movie. It had been a while, and I love it. It was number 20 on my uh, top 20 of all time. It was also my number one favorite rom-com of all time. Uh, that is to say, it was uh, my favorite bromantic comedy of all time. Uh, that would be the 2009 comedy I Love You Man with Paul Rudd. And watching this movie, again, just fills my heart with such joy. It has just about everything that I like in a comedy in it. I mean, Paul Rudd is so charming and so funny and so adorably awkward. Uh, and his chemistry with everybody else, uh, uh, Jason Siegel and uh, Rashida Jones are quite good. But the supporting cast in this movie in particular is just extraordinary. J.K. Simmons and Andy Samberg have a great uh, back and forth a couple of times in this movie. Uh, Joe Lo Trulio in his pre-Brooklyn Nine-Nine days is really, really funny. Uh, I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, Lou Ferrigno is in this movie for some reason. It, it kind of just feels like they wanted to have Arnold Schwarzenegger in the movie but couldn't afford him, so they needed to get Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm forget oh, John Favreau. John Favreau is fucking hysterical. Oh, He's, yes. He plays a perfect asshole in this movie. He He's might be He might be my favorite character in this movie. John Favreau is probably my favorite character in the movie as uh, Barry. Barry is just a, a piece of garbage. I fucking love him. <laughs> the most unnecessarily standoffish person in human history. <laughs> Fuck, I think I'm going to have to rewatch this now just for John Favreau. Yeah, John Favreau is great. Uh, on the note of us talking about poker with uh, Molly's game, this movie... At, to this point in my movie-watching career has maybe the most authentic poker scene I've ever seen in, in a movie with just the way uh, John Favreau's character Barry explodes and immediately, <laughs> immediately gets super angry that Paul Rudd has no idea what the fuck he's doing. It just feels super authentic to me. I Love You, Man is a movie that every time I watch it, I like it more. Uh, the bromance elements of it, I mean, for those who don't know, it's a movie about a guy who gets engaged and realizes that he doesn't have any close male friends to be his best man. So he starts going on these man dates to hopefully find a best friend. And there's something very touching about the plot. The ending is so wholesome and warm and it just leaves me with a happy feeling. The bromance in it speaks to me on a bunch of different levels. It also features my favorite band of all time, Rush, quite prominently. There's a scene that takes place at a Rush concert. Uh, loved all of that. Uh, I just relate to Paul Rudd's character, Peter Clavin, endlessly in this movie, and it is ridiculously quotable. I call all my friends Jobin to this day. I'm pretty sure this movie coined the phrase totes my goats. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that it did. Uh, but there's so much to like about I Love You, Man. There is sometimes where I'll go back and watch a movie I've heaped praise upon, and I'm like, yeah, it's not quite as good. It's a Elements of it haven't aged very well, or this isn't as funny as I remember, but I Love You, Man seriously gets better every time that I watch it, and I still quote it with my friends to this day. Uh, Manny, you have anything you want to add about I Love You, Man? No, I I love it. I, uh, it's, I, I agree. I <laughs> I think that was one of the uh that was one of the times that you worked the system to Yeah, <laughs> yeah when we listed our top romantic comedies, I inserted a bromantic comedy. Yeah, which I, I loved that you did. I was so happy and so proud of you for working the system like that. Well, I think the only rule that we set was that if IMDB listed it as romance and comedy, it was eligible, right? 
Yeah. yeah. And it listed it as romance and comedy, so I went with it. Yeah, so if you want to actually hear <clears throat> us talk about I Love You Man in great detail, it is episode 47 of the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. It's a double feature we did with my number one romantic comedy, which is When Harry Met Sally. Um, a long time. That's 70 episodes ago. Yeah, it was uh, March 9th, 2019. We were so <clears throat> young and naive then. We didn't know what would be waiting for us a year over, <laughs> a year past that. I know. Uh, it was, yeah, I really don't have too much to say. Uh, now looking back at that episode, I'm like, I want to listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> See how different things are and how awkward we are. Yeah. I, I really, there's so many old episodes of ours that I love. I want to definitely, Ooh, our, there's episode one. I should re-listen to that one too. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this movie. If, if somebody out there hasn't seen, I love you, man definitely check it out it's it's really heartfelt it's really well done it's it's a it's a great movie if if somebody like manny likes this movie who doesn't normally like i guess this style of humor is that accurate to say do you think hmm. this i i could see why you're saying that this borders on along the line of the type of humor that i generally don't enjoy but yeah. it it, <clears throat> it borders it I was just going to say that if somebody like you likes this movie, uh, and I think you gave it uh, three stars in retrospect, Pro- probably. You probably oh, gave it three stars. Definitely yeah. three. Anyway, if you could find enjoyment in it, I'm pretty sure just about anyone can, because this, uh, this d- did not even strike me as the kind of movie that you would enjoy, honestly. Even though, now that I know you a little bit more, it, it's it's super cheesy and romantic, and I can see why you would like it. And, and it speaks, <laughs> uh, I think we talked in that episode, about uh, just the relationships that you have with your friends and the relationships I have with my friends. And it, it, it's the kind of movie that really makes you reflect on the people who are important in your life and how you, how you kind of came, came to get to know them. Mm-hmm. Last movie that I watched this week is uh, one that I hadn't seen before. Um, Ooh, nice. Jor- my, my roommate and I, uh, Jordan, who uh, actually past and future guest, Jordan, <laughs> uh, we were uh, going through our pile of movies. We have a stack uh, that we've assembled, the two of us, of uh, all the Blu-rays that we want to make the other person watch. And we just picked one off of it. And uh, this one was Crazy Rich Asians, <gasps> uh, the romantic comedy from, I think, 2018, if I recall. I had never seen it before. I had really no expectations at all. I didn't even know that it was a rom-com going into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I was kind of going in completely blind. Um, I had a good time. I will say that the two leads uh, could have been replaced by cardboard cutouts of themselves, and I wouldn't have noticed. Uh, they, <laughs> they were the most. They were very boring. The, the main characters were, were boring, for sure. I, that, that was my main problem with the movie. Mm-hmm. Everybody else, the supporting cast is a lot of fun. The movie itself is beautiful. It oh my god! The sets. There's a wedding scene at the end that is oh my god! What? <laughs> it's it looks way better than it has any business looking. Um, it, it's relatively interesting. They they go to some uh, some pretty interesting places. They have a lot of fun with uh, with I guess what can only be described as fuck you money. They yeah. really go out of their way to showcase the wealth of these people. There's parties on yachts, and like I said, the wedding at the end looks spectacular. Um, there is a lot of commentary on Asian, in particular, rich Asian culture, and uh, and. The uh, uh, how it opposes to American culture. So the uh, the protagonist is I can't even remember her name, but she goes. The, the, she's a Chinese American who goes to China, and she she there's a complete 
uh, culture clash because she comes from a place uh, of self-determination. She's uh, she's a uh, she's a professor, I think an economics professor. She's so she's quite successful in her own right. But she goes back to this country where even in the richest of families, everything is expected to be given to your family, especially as a woman. So there's this culture clash and there's a lot of commentary on that. Those sorts of scenes, especially the conversation uh, over a game of Mahjong. Oh, uh, yes. The conversation between her and her fiance's mother. Uh, is really, really good, really interesting, and frankly, much smarter than this movie had any business being. Uh, the, the Mahjong scene in uh, in Crazy Rich Asians is one of the best scenes in the movie. Um, so overall, I had a good time. I really did not care about any of the central romances, to be honest with you. <laughs> um, I'm not opposed to rom-coms as a rule by any stretch of the imagination, but this at times, especially when we were watching the drama unfold between the main characters, kind of just felt really paint by numbers to me. But all the stuff that's happening in the sidelines, uh, I found really interesting. I, I had a good time with Crazy Rich Asians. Good. I'm glad you liked it. I love this movie. I had a, I, I'm with you. I had a complete blast. Mm -hmm. uh, the two leads, I know that the female is Constant Wu. Uh, Constance Wu, sorry. Uh, yeah. She's fine she's fine but she both her and i I'm, if I'm not mistaken i think the other lead i think his name is actually harry like not the character's name i think the actual actor's name i think it's it's a very normal name if i remember correctly uh henry henry yeah see i was off as, um as nick young yeah there i agree the, while the two of them are beautiful with henry being especially a, a gorgeous man Henry Golding is absolutely gorgeous. <laughs> yeah. That was the, frankly, I think that was the only reason he was cast. He is a beautiful human being. He is a beautiful <laughs> human being. Uh, he, ha he has a little bit of charm. I found his charm to actually be more pronounced when he wasn't with Constance Wu. Like mm -hmm. in his scenes with his best friends, I found him to be a lot more charming. Um, the, And then, of course... Obviously, the comedic highlight for me is Aquafina. She is mm. an absolute, and this was my introduction to her. I was having an absolute blast. She does go a little over the top at times, but I was on board with it. She, she had me giggling, laughing, and smiling pretty much every time she was on screen. And I agree, the Mahjong scene is probably the highlight of the film. You know what I'm just remembering right now is that I need to watch The Farewell with Aquafina. Oh, yes. That movie's unfucking believable. I was jotting that down real quick. Because, <laughs> yeah, that, uh, th that's one that I was told I had to watch. But, yeah, cra uh, in particular, uh, you're right. Aquafina and Crazy Rich Asians is really funny. Um, the only actor I really recognized in it, I think, I think it was the only actor. I think it was Ken Jeong of uh, of community and the hangover fame uh and he was fine he was doing his usual ken jong shtick that wasn't uh wasn't anything bad well you he was far from a highlight um the mother's played by michelle yo isn't it uh yes it is well she's from she was the like the Cro uh, crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah yeah okay i'm, I'm seeing that now yeah overall uh I was really happy that I watched it. I don't know if I'll find an excuse to watch it again anytime soon. Um, I, oh, you know what I wanted to say about uh, Henry Golding's character, Nick? Mm -hmm. uh, the entire time I was watching this movie, I, I was just thinking that it, it's the kind of character who, if, if this was a female character, he would be called uh, a Mary Sue. I don't know if you've heard that term. Mm -hmm. Sure have. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's, he's a total Mary Sue. 
in this movie. I'm just like, there's nothing fucking wrong with this guy. He just smiles and looks attractive and is awesome to his girlfriend. Even when they fight at the end, like even when they even when they break up so they can get back together, like your classic rom com stuff. He, he doesn't really do anything wrong. It's just it, again, it's that cultural difference that breaks them up. So. Yep. Nick does not do a single thing wrong in this entire movie. All he does is smile and take his shirt off and look attractive, which I'm sure there is an audience for that. Uh, we are not that target. Man, okay, I was about to say we're not that target. Oh, <laughs> man, he did raise his hand. Okay, I'll admit. Good looking dude. <laughs> but, you know, I uh, there's let's just say there's locations you can go to online if you want to get that fix. I, if, if you're going to get that fix in the movie, I need a little bit more than just uh, 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 somebody batting his eyelashes. Manny no. does not. He's shaking his head right no. now. No, no. <laughs> nothing wrong with a little bit of eye candy. I nothing wrong with that. I just, I just didn't find him interesting. Fair enough. So that's what we've been watching. So let's dive in to what we've all come here for, and that's part two of our Harry Potter miniseries, which leads us into Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Released November 15th, 2002, directed by Chris Columbus. Written by Steve Close, based off the J.K. Rowling novel, starring Daniel Radcliffe, Emma Watson, and Rupert Grint. Has a Metascore of 63. No Oscar nominations. Had a budget of $100 million. It grossed 262 in the U.S. and 895 worldwide. The plot. An ancient prophecy seems to be coming true when a mysterious presence begins stalking the corridors of a school of magic and leaving its victims paralyzed. Here we go. This is now all brand new, fresh territory for me in the Harry Potter franchise. You have mentioned, and others have mentioned, that this is generally considered the worst of the series. And at, at the very least, at the very least, in contention for the worst. Okay, in contention for the worst, and I can see why. This movie. The sad part for me is, um, let's see, can I do this without spoiling the movie? Yes, I can. The movie starts off an absolute fucking joy to watch. I was having so much fun, basically, until they got to Hogwarts. (laughs) And I was like, wow, I'm like, I'm really liking this a lot. If this... If if they say that this is one of the weaker ones of the franchise, I'm like, this bodes well for the rest mm. of it. And then the movie continues on, and I was like, oh, I get it. And it's unfortunate because it starts off, it starts off so much fun, and I was having a lot of fun, but this movie drags and has a lot of problems. Uh, I, longest I, longest of the eight movies, I'll point out. Yes. Two hours and 41 minutes. This could have been two hours easily. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff you could cut. Again, like I mentioned in the previous episode, there's a lot of stuff you could cut because I'm not a Harry Potter fan. So there's a lot of stuff. I don't know what they cut from the book. I don't know what they had in here to set up stuff for down the line. But as a film fan, this movie dragged and had a lot of unnecessary scenes that could have easily been left on the on the cutting room floor. I did enjoy this movie. I'm still enjoying the franchise. We're two in. We're doing good. I'm not dreading this decision yet, so we'll see how it goes. Uh, all in all, I, 
I went in with pretty low expectations considering the rumors and uh, expectations that people have laid upon this movie. But uh, I'm happy to say it, it was not as bad as I expected, but I can understand the criticisms lobbied against it. Uh, that's about all I can say, spoiler-free. Okay, that's absolutely fine. Um, this is the second of the two movies directed by Chris Columbus in this uh, in this series. So after this, we're moving on to a new director. Um, and these two definitely feel like a cohesive unit. They're almost a little bit interchangeable to me. Uh, this is the movie in the series that I'm least familiar with. I probably haven't seen this one in several years. And have probably only seen it probably... I would, if I were to guess, I'd say three to four times total in my life. So I really haven't, uh, really haven't watched this one a whole lot. Um, so this isn't one that's like near and dear to me or any or anything. Um, I, one of the things that I forgot about it was just how scary it was for kids. So last time uh, I asked you if you were going to be watching these movies with Maya, uh, and you said that there was there was some stuff that was a little bit too scary in the first movie that you thought she that she wouldn't like, and I could see it. Um, and I remember being scared by some of it as a kid. In this one, we get a whole a whole web of murderous spiders. We have a, a massive serpent at the end. We have students being turned to stone. Uh, like there's a there's a lot of stuff that is a it's heavier than I remember for sure. It's still very distinctly tied to the first one. Like it still feels very upbeat and uh, and. I don't know. It still feels very Chris Columbusy, for lack of a better term. But it, uh, it it definitely feels a little bit darker, at least this time around, to me. Um, I think one of the thing, one of the strengths of this movie is uh, it, it kind of plays like a mystery. Uh, you said you didn't have a great time once we got to Hogwarts, but I, I I really like a lot of the Hogwarts stuff. I like a lot of the Chamber of Secrets stuff. It is kind of set up like a mystery. You know what the, the movie asks what the Chamber of Secrets is, what the beast is that's within it. Uh, there's this whole mystery around Tom Riddle's diary. So I like a lot of the mystery aspects that are set up later on in the movie. I also think there's a couple of uh, good new characters, in particular Lucius Malfoy, uh, Draco's dad, is uh, is cast perfectly, I think. He's he's a huge fucking snarling snob. He The, the casting of him as Draco's dad was just completely perfect. Um, I also... Uh, Dobby does come uh, Dobby is introduced in this uh, episode of the series he does I, I'm not going to lie to you I forgot how annoying he was in this movie that's, <laughs> that's my first note <laughs> Dobby is annoying he he comes back in uh, one or two other movies and he's he's not nearly this annoying this whole sh he, he's basically a one note character for like three out of his four scenes in this movie he basically just keeps hitting himself for uh, disobeying disobeying his masters or whatever uh, it, it it grows very tired very quickly I, I I was not a fan of that I I like what they did with the character towards the end we'll we'll uh, touch on that a little bit more. But yeah, I, I just want to I wanted to just say that this is not the last we see of Dobby, and I promise this is the most annoying he ever gets. <laughs> Good. Um, you know who I found even more annoying than Dobby actually is Moaning Myrtle. Oh, yep. Yep, Moaning Myrtle is uh, super annoying, and I'm happy to report she only has one other scene in the entire saga. So we'll have to we'll have to sit through that, but. Yeah, Moaning Myrtle, I forgot just how annoying she is in this movie. That that high-pitched voice is just not doing it for me. <laughs> it's I she could have like if you want to talk about fat that could have been trimmed, get rid of all the stuff with Moaning Myrtle. 
get rid of, get rid of all that. Uh, I mean, some other stuff that can be trimmed. Uh, I, I don't really have a whole lot because a lot of it's kind of a balance you need to strike when you're talking about the Harry Potter universe, right? You either need to insert these scenes that don't really advance the plot but flesh out the universe. Uh, or you can remove them and the universe doesn't feel as whole. So it, it, it's kind of a give and take. But, I mean, some of the things like uh, Ron receives a growler from his from his mom, which is basically an angry letter that yells at you. I think it's a funny scene, but it doesn't really advance the plot. I mean, there's a bunch of scenes like that. Even, I mean, even the Quidditch stuff. Okay, Quidditch. Let's talk about this. Are we getting the into spoilers? Scene? Yes or no? We can get into spoilers. Why not? I, I only had I only had one other thing I wanted. To, okay. Let me just say this one other thing before we get into spoilers, and then then we'll go. Uh, putting Quidditch aside, this movie goes in a very racial direction. It <laughs> it touches on race to a degree that I did not really grasp as a child. Uh, there's there's a lot that we're introduced to wizard racial slurs, the word mudblood. Yeah, uh, and of course uh, that that comes back. There's like wizard white supremacy, basically. Uh, wizards have slaves. Like Dobby is a slave. I mean, they use the word servant, but he's a slave. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, like I don't remember this movie being this racial as a kid. I I guess I am pro the commentary that it's making, but I don't really know if it's not really very risky. I mean, the movie's saying slavery is bad and white supremacy is bad, which, like, yeah, obviously. <laughs> I, I guess it's good to introduce kids to these ideas uh, in a very elementary form. It just didn't didn't feel... It felt kind of ham-fisted in this movie. I mean, this is not the last we see of Lucius Malfoy and his backwards ideas about what makes a pure wizard or whatever. It's not the last we see of any of that. It's not the last we see of uh, house elves and servitude. But uh, th- this stuff, it comes on really heavy-handed to me in some reason for this movie. I-, I don't know if you have anything to say about that, at least non-spoilery. But... Nope. Okay, so let's get into spoilers. Uh, we are going to be spoiling this 18-year-old movie, Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. If you haven't seen it already, please go do so. You've been warned. Three, two, one, go fuck yourself. Okay, where do you want to start? Um, well, we, we can pick up right there. If you, did you have anything spoilery you wanted to say about the, the racial commentaries of this? Or is that I have nothing really else to say. I, it just it comes on a little bit strong. I, I didn't know if you were saying you didn't have anything to say about it because you didn't have anything to say about it or because it was spoilery. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> it was I don't know. It was it, I agree. It was ham fisted. It, it felt did you really have to have the white blonde hair guy be the racist? <laughs> yeah, it's not not particularly subtle. Yeah, it was unfortunate. But your you mentioned uh, the casting of uh, Lucius Malfoy. That's my note goes, and I didn't know this because I don't research the movies. But Jason Motherfucking Isaacs, <laughs> I am a huge fan of Jason Isaacs. And when he walked on the screen, I was like, oh, my God. In, as soon as he came on screen, I'm like, oh, my God, they cast this guy perfectly. Like, <laughs> he's so perfect as Lucius Malfoy. And I think I, I did have a note about his performance that I wanted to – or did I – yeah, I erased it as one of the things I did. Uh, I have a couple things about his stuff, but we'll get to that when we get into trivia. Um, he's spectacular as Lucius Malfoy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and 
yeah, it's just it's it's a, I it just feels it, yeah it's, it, I I can't find a different term so I'm just gonna overuse it. It just feels so ham fisted that the the very white very blonde guy is the racist one. Um, yeah, it was it was rough. Yeah, and you know what? It, I feel like I would be able to give it a pass. Like I would be able to just uh, brush it off and be like, yeah, 2002. It's a kids movie, whatever. I would be able to give it a pass if J.K. Rowling also didn't conveniently forget to cast a single person of color in this universe. Like, <laughs> I, I feel like that, that should not be overlooked as well. I think we get one Asian student with a speaking role later on in like the fourth movie. But yeah, the, the lack of colored students and then the, uh, yeah, the, the, the completely lacking of subtlety, the ham fisted commentary on, uh, on, on the racism of the wizarding world. I, it's fine. And it, it, again, it doesn't go away in this universe. And I think they, they, uh, they treat it tastefully at least later on. But in this movie in particular, something about it just feels like, like it's too early on, the, the little ones weren't ready for it in yeah. this movie, but it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. Uh, you wanted to talk about the Quidditch match. Yeah. I was just going to say that, uh, the CGI in this movie night and day, right? Uh, what, that's one of the things I, I had in here is that, uh, the Quidditch match was better this time, but it was still pretty meh. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, I'm like, I guess it's kind of hard to make someone riding a broom look cool. <laughs> yeah, that's true. A lot, a lot of green screen being used. Like it's, it's quite obvious, but it looks way at, better. At least they're using green screen and not just animating people on brooms. Like they were animating full people in 2001. Like the technology was just not there. It was just not there. If you watched uh, the Philosopher's Stone. So yeah, it, it looks better. Still not there, but hey, this movie, uh, this franchise goes for ten years. They'll uh, they'll get there. Yeah, I I do. Since you and I kind of uh, shit on Quidditch a little bit last episode, mm. uh, I do have a, a note on this Quidditch match. Sure. Yeah. In um, I'm sorry. I think it's called a, a is it called a a bulger or a bludger uh, a bludger a bludger. Right. The the was it a cursed bludger ball. Cursed yeah. by Dobby, I think it was, or Dobby, sorry. Yeah. Um, so it was chasing Harry Potter everywhere. So why not just why not just fly through those rings and get points? Well, if, I think well, I think it's isn't it I think there are three balls, right? There's the snitch, there's the bludgers, and there's the quaffle. I think the quaffle is the one that has to go through the rings oh, okay. to get points. That's that's my understanding of it. I could be off base on that. No, you know what? You are right. You okay. are you are right. So yeah. yeah, I was just like, why not just fucking fly through that hoop and that fucking <laughs> that thing will follow him. He gets ten points every fucking time. Yeah, man, take one from the team. Who cares if it breaks your fucking arm? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, the Quidditch match was a definite improvement. Uh, again, uh, <laughs> again, Harry Potter wins the match. Uh, I, 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 the one thing I find odd about the beginning of all these Quidditch matches is that. There's two players on the team that are the seekers. And yet, always at the beginning of the match, Harry's not fucking seeking. He's always mm-hmm. he's always seems to be helping his teammates or flying around. I'm like, shouldn't you be trying to find that little fucking thing? Like why why are you helping? Like go fucking find that fucking golden snitch. Do they release it right away? I honestly don't know. I don't. I, I- for some reason, I had it in my, again. I can't tell which of this I've made up to rationalize the rules and which are actually there because the rules really don't make sense. But I always had it in my head that the secret or the uh, the snitch wasn't released right away. Oh, I'm pretty sure it's released right away. 
Okay, yeah. Who? But but again, who the fuck cares? Who the fuck cares? It's a it's a sport made up by a person who doesn't watch sports in a kids movie about magic. It's a pass. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> uh, I just I want to circle back to the beginning of the movie because it's part, yeah, it's, it's part of the movie that I enjoyed the most. Uh, the Wheezy family is fucking phenomenal. Yeah, I, I love that we finally get to get a look into the Weasley household. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Weasley family is it's chock full of interesting characters and Percy. Uh, Percy's also there. He Nobody gives a shit about him. Uh, but Fred and George are going to uh, be very fun as we go further on down the series. I love Arthur, uh, the father figure. Oh, he uh, is the so of the awesome. He's so he awesome. This, he has this fascination with muggles that I love so much. He makes me feel better about myself because he would be interested in me. And the, the question that he asks Harry that makes me laugh every time is when he looks at him and says, what exactly is the function of a rubber duck? Yes. <laughs> yes. He just needs to know what the function of a rubber duck is, and it makes me chuckle. Yeah, he he's that whole time spent with the Weasleys was a, an absolute blast for me. I had a, a great time when he was with them. And like I said, right up until they get on the train and they get to Hogwarts, I was having a lot of fun with this movie. And and that, I'm not saying the rest of the movie is horseshit. Just mm-hmm. the beginning of this movie was a lot of fun for me. Best moment in the Weasley household for me is uh, when Ginny comes downstairs and doesn't know that Harry's there. And then she looks over and realizes and her eyes just go completely wide like saucers. And she just runs away. Yeah. <laughs> Super cute. Loved all of that. Yeah, adorable. <laughs> uh, the next thing I have is those fucking mandrakes were creepy as shit. Yeah, don't love that scene in retrospect. Just purely, be- I mean, the sound design of it is obviously good in the sense that it achieves what it's supposed to achieve. But fuck, you think Dobby's annoying. That scene going on as long as it did. I mean, it doesn't even go on for that long, but just that noise, not fun. Yeah, and then I also felt bad for uh, poor Neville Longbottom. Faints with the Mandrakes, gets his ass kicked by Pixies, was fucking frozen in the last fucking episode. He, the fucking, yep. I'm, I'm pretty sure it might be a theme. Is he like the Kenny uh no he he takes a fucking beating and he's he's the he's the ass of the group he i mean he just he he <laughs> he's the victim of everything poor little neville longbottom so he's the kenny from south park then yeah except i don't know if he gets to die at any point but or if he does not nearly as frequently as uh as kenny <laughs> but yeah he had a great thing um you mentioned that uh, the the growler. I th- I thought it was called a howler, but uh, might have been. Okay, either way. Uh, while that is amusing, uh, why the fuck would he open it in front of everybody? Yeah, right. But whatever. Take that to your room. Yeah, really. Uh, the next thing. <laughs> this was hard to watch, but Ron puking up those slugs was fucking nasty. Yeah, it doesn't. That's after their uh, altercation with Malfoy, where he calls Hermione a mudblood for the first time, and he he curses him. His wand reverses back on himself. Yes. First of all, the fact that that was the curse that he wanted to go with—that that was the spell that he wanted to go with. They've been at wizarding school for a full year, and the first thing that comes to his mind to attack another student is like you would think. I I, I don't know. I'd have to imagine there are a number of spells that would hurt Malfoy, but not harm him long term getting a dude to puke up slugs is pretty fucked up in my opinion it's that, really fucked up that's really fucked that was the first thing he was going to use and it backfired on him yeah 
It's nasty, and I won't uh, like. I want to tip my cap to Rupert Grint because he plays those scenes that he's puking up slugs. In like he looks horrible. He's in some pain. Yeah, he's in some serious agony. <laughs> it is nasty. The one thing, like, uh, like, I, I'm, I'm going. I, I only have two movies to go off by. Mm. And it appears that it's solid, but you might might be able to refute this. Mm. But I'm going under the assumption that these wizards and and witches or whatever you want to call them here at yep. Hogwarts are unable to cast spells without a wand. Uh, yeah, these the the students, yes, the students, yes, but the the I I, bl- I believe that's how it goes. Yeah, okay. I I think that, to be honest with you, I think the rules on that are kind of vague. There's okay. some magic that can be done without wands, but I think the vast majority of the time it should be done with a wand. Okay, the only reason I bring it up is from, from everything I've seen in these two movies, mm-hmm. if you don't have a wand, you can't cast a spell. But Dobby, but Dobby could. And I was like, well, yeah. then Dobby's fucking much more powerful than any fucking wizard. Dobby's super powerful. <laughs> yeah. He snaps his fingers and disarms uh, Lucius Malfoy at the end. Yeah, it's just it's, the snap of his fingers. Yeah, doesn't even have to offer up any type of spell. He just fucking snaps his fingers. Well, that's why they have house elves and servitude, is because they know if they ever rise up, they'd be fucked. Yeah. So yeah, that that was just something. Again, if anybody's listening out there and they know for a fact the rules of wand having and not wand having and whether or not they can, I would love to know. Uh, and by love to know, I mean I have a passing interest. Um, <laughs> A passing interest in this very moment. Yeah, and, and so if you text me tomorrow, I might not respond. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was just it, again. This is this is just nitpicking the movie. Uh, I I'm not nitpicking it to be a jerk, and it's not something I'm going to fucking stew on because movies that I enjoy have huge plot holes that I'm willing to forgive. So it's not a huge deal for me. It's just something I noticed in the. It didn't occur to me last episode. Because nobody seemed to have cast any spells without a wand present. But mm-hmm. Dobie just being able to snap his fingers and do some pretty insane magic without having to ca- without having to say a spell, but just literally just snap his fingers fucking Thanos style yeah. and uh and have some pretty powerful repercu- repercussions to it, uh, while everyone else appears to only be able to do stuff when they have a wand, I'm like, that's a pretty big advantage. It's a massive advantage. Yeah. It just whoops, you you hop on the train without your wand one day, and then all of a sudden Dobby is the overlord. It's, yeah. It's very easy. Uh, anything else you want to touch on up to this point? At this point, I, we still haven't uh, – I don't think the blood on the walls appeared, but uh, that's where we're, where we're at. Uh, I don't think that I have anything else. Um, I, I am glad that we just touched on Ron's broken wand briefly because I like how uh, that's brought back as like a Chekhov's gun. It's yeah. set up multiple times throughout the movie. Uh, he, I think he breaks his wand in the Whomping Willow at the beginning when they fly their car into it. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. You have something you want to say about that, it seems. Well, the Whomping Willow, I don't know. I guess it's for me, <laughs> maybe it's me as a parent. Uh but there's this tree that wants to fucking crush anybody that's fucking in it, and it's just in an open fucking courtyard in this fucking school of kids. Welcome to fucking Hogwarts, Manny. <laughs> this is this is one of the things that even diehard fans of the series say is there are seven books 
eight movies in this series, and every year some really fucked up shit happens at Hogwarts, and all we ever hear about is, oh, Hogwarts is safe, Dumbledore is here, nothing bad will ever happen to the students. Do you know how close every student in that school came to being fucking wiped out? There was almost a mass genocide at Hogwarts in this episode, and everyone's just kind of cool with it in the later years. Yeah, so the the Whomping Willow is the least of their concerns, but I'm with you. I mean, we'll... <laughs> we'll talk about some shit in some of the later movies, but we're going to see just a, these, these students are going to go through a lot of stuff and the parents are all like, have fun at school. Have a great time. Hope dark lords don't try to murder you on yeah. the on the school courtyard. Yeah, just happens. Mm. Hogwarts also, is in a bad neighborhood. It, yeah, apparently sees that way. Uh, the next the next part I really enjoyed uh, is the duel scene. With, yeah. Um, my boy Alan Rickman as Snape coming in to have a little fun with Kenneth Branagh as uh, fuck Gilderoy Lockhart. Lockhart, thanks. I had Neville Longbottom stuck in my head, and I was like, I know it's not. I know it's <laughs> I not. Know the, name, the silly names all kind of blur together after a bit. They do. Uh, Kenneth Branagh obviously having the time of his life uh, yep. playing this character, who was obvious. I could see was a lot of fun. Yep. Uh, but Rickman, this is. Pretty much only his real, his kind of like his really his only scene in the movie, like he's yeah, in I, he's in other scenes like in them, but this is the only time he actually does something. He's not an active participant in a lot of the plot of this movie. Snape is really underutilized, which is something that I'm disappointed because Snape is is a really fun character for oh. most of the series, and the way that they the that Harry and Snape play off of each other in in most installments in this series is really, really fun. The, the best Snape moment that we get, I don't have the quote written down in front of me right now, but it's when uh, Filch's cat is discovered uh, petrified and Snape says something in defense of Harry. He says something like, uh, we can't assume that it was them three who did this just because just because they were here. Like he says something to defend them, and the three of them just like share a look. They're like, "What? <laughs> He's defending us?" No, my fa- my favorite Snape moment is actually in this scene. Yeah, in the duel. Yeah, in the duel because when he decide when uh, Lockhart picks Harry, he suggests somebody on his, and he does this amazing. Like he, I think it goes something like he. He picks Malfoy. He's like, I'll pick um, Draco Malfoy. And he does this fucking spin and point (laughs) that is fucking mm, (laughs) chef's kiss amazing. It is so over the top and pronounced. I was looking at the screen. I'm like, I need to see that again. Rewind. It's fucking delicious. It is so over the top and pronounced. Oh, it it was one of the highlights of the movie for me. I fucking love Rickman. Rickman yeah. is glorious. Rick Rickman is spectacular, uh, and I, I like his banter back and forth with Lockhart. How he he doesn't even need to really insult Lockhart, but he he condescends. He talks down to him just endlessly. Perhaps we should teach the students how to deflect a spell first, or so, something like that. Yeah. that he says he, he's very good at being a condescending asshole. Yeah, he is. I, I'm a big fan of fucking Rickman and. Like you, like you hinted at, uh, there's a lot more of him to come in the series, and I am anxiously awaiting more of Snape as I loved him in the first movie. Yeah. Um, we learn that Harry is a parcel mouth. That is to say, he speaks parcel tongue, or he speaks to snakes. That is a thing that is in this movie. I don't know if it's 
I mean, it's kind of important in this one. It's extremely I, I, important in this one. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I guess it's an important aspect of him. I just remember seeing that, or I think I read... Did I read Chamber of Secrets first, or did I see it? Anyway, I remember when I discovered this fact. I, I remember just thinking it felt random. Like, it just felt weird. I mean, obviously, it, it pays off in the end of this movie, but we had not had... Maybe maybe I'm kind of talking out of my ass here because I guess there are professors who are turning in and out of animals as well. I I just remembered thinking like it's just weird that that's one of the abilities a person can have is talking to snakes. But I guess it makes sense uh, with uh, with people trans transforming in and out of animals. Um, we uh, did you have anything else you wanted to say about the the duel scene? Nope. What I wanted to go to was uh, Dumbledore's office. Okay. Uh, the uh, the phoenix. Uh, has <laughs> I I like that they set it up and called it back, uh, which is fine. But the fucking the phoenix, the phoenix tears having healing abilities, and the phoenix coming to save the day at the end. Oh, you mean the Deus Ex Machina? Oh, I do mean the Deus Ex Machina. Thank you for using that term. That's precisely what I mean. Oh, and did you also remember that the fucking car is another one? Yeah. That car. Yeah, this movie is that, full of Deus Ex Machina. That car bothered me, man. It bothered me so bad. I was so mad. I was so mad. I was so excited to see how they were going to get out of this. And that fuck. All of us. All of a sudden, the car is sentient. I don't get it. Yeah. For, for anyone who's never heard that term before, by the way, I, I don't know the. I don't have the uh, exact definition in front of me, but essentially, a Deus Ex Machina is any resolution to a conflict in a story that is out of the hands of our protagonists. So when the car comes and saves Harry and Ron from the spiders, that's a deus ex machina because they had nothing to do with them getting out of that situation. It would have been a lot more fun to watch them sort out the situation and them find a fun solution. But instead, the writers just got lazy and are like, ah, whatever, have the fucking car come save them, whatever. I have, the, I, have the, I have the definition for you. Sure, go for it. It's a plot device whereby a seemingly unsolvable problem in a story is sudden and abruptly resolved by an unexpected and unlikely occurrence. Yeah, the the favorite example of a lot of people who talk about Deus Ex Machina is the Eagles from Lord of the Rings. That's yes. a lot of people's favorite example. The, uh, I mean, it won't spoil the end of Lord of the Rings, even though everybody's seen it. But the Eagles, uh, the Eagles role at the end of Return of the King is definitely a Deus Ex Machina and yeah. a a popular example of it. And this... but for all the shit that Lord of the Rings gets, this is a pretty bad one. This in, one's uh, in, in Chamber of Secrets. There's okay, so there's the fucking car. It annoyed me to shit. The phoenix who the phoenix comes in, I understand why it comes because they set it up with Dumbledore with that great line saying, "If if I'm ever needed, all you have to do is ask." Mm -hmm. So that's fine. But the phoenix comes in and it can look at the basilisk and not get frozen. Everything yeah. else does. Then it takes out its eyes. And Super. It was super great. That yeah, it went new to do that. I yeah. mean, I'm sh I'm sure that they're smart creatures, but we don't even get to see it get blinded on screen. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. And and then it's fucking tears can heal everything in the world. Yeah. It's just it's so oh. lazy. It's it, it's writing like that, which completely cheapens all action because at no in order to feel suspense when your protagonist is in danger he needs to actually be in danger he needs to actually be in danger of having some consequence but if you keep just saving him and saying hey what if we write in a creature who shows up when you need him and cries tears which save your life 
that that is not a way to get people to worry about the protagonist. That is not a way to get people to feel suspense. I'm with you. That's so annoying to me in this movie. A lot of the poor resolution of the uh, plots of this movie are a reason why it's considered to be among the worst, in my opinion. Because yeah. that, that shit fucking bothers me. It re- it really it bothered me a lot. And don't get me wrong, like you if you would if all you do is you switch out the Phoenix Tears for say is it Jenny or Ginny? Uh Ginny with an I. Okay, Ginny. It's the same as my sister. Um if Ginny happened to know a healing spell. Yeah. That wouldn't bother me in the slightest. <laughs> it wouldn't bother me in the slightest. But it's the yeah. fact that this fucking Phoenix has healing tears took out the fucking eyes of the basilisk and is also is it the only thing that doesn't get frozen when it looks upon it like i don't get it it's- yeah there's all these exceptions i guess for things that can look at it or i mean i have an alternate solution to the to the conflict what if Ginny and ron then take the basilisk basilisk's fang and harry up to hermione who is now awake and they brew an antidote and they use their potions powers then they are they are actively solving the problem yes I don't know. I just feel like there's any number of directions that you could have gone, but they were like, oh, shit, we're at two hours and 40 minutes, and we had to have two scenes with the car, and we had to have all this other stuff in there, so I guess, I don't know, just have the phoenix cry on him. And yes, I know that that's how it is in the books as well, but you see what I'm saying. This is why leaving too much in the movie earlier becomes a problem, because you need to rush the ending like this. Yeah, I w- it, it, it really bothered me and really was a detriment to this film. Uh, um, oh, I go ahead. Can't- on the note of the ending, by the way, we can circle back to other stuff if we need, but uh, the sort of Gryffindor presenting itself, I cannot remember for the life of me why it does that. I'm sure there's some explanation in the book or in one of the later movies, but for the life of me right now, I can't remember why that sword just shows up. Yeah, but, I was oh, really, magic. I was really fucking confused. There's, I was like, there's a reason, I'm sure. I'm sure Jordan will enlighten me when she hears this episode, but yeah, cannot remember for the life of me why the sword of Gryffindor comes up there for some reason. All right. Uh, the... Okay, since we're at the ending, I'm going to stick with the ending, and there's just, I think it looks like there's only one other, well, a couple other things I want to talk about. Okay. Yeah, sure. So this Chamber of Secrets has been hiding, it's been hidden for 50 years. This Chamber of Secrets is fucking massive. It's huge. It's fucking huge. And you're telling not me on, all. Not in any of the blueprints, hey? Yeah, not in any of the blueprints. Fine. <laughs> it's not in any of the blueprints. But you, you, they've been searching for it for 50 years, and they couldn't find this big fucking massive cave system underneath their own fucking school? Yeah, it's concerning. Like, how hard are you looking? Is this like yeah. is this like parents looking for their two year old and hide and go seek when you can see the feet underneath the curtain? Like, yeah. <laughs> come on, put a little effort into it. It shouldn't be that hard to find. Well, allegedly, this thing has been in Hogwarts basically since it was built, right? Like that legend that uh, Professor McGonagall tells about uh, Salazar Slytherin putting it into the building. Was, I think took place like a thousand years before the events of this uh, this movie. So this thing has been there the entire time. Yeah. Nobody's ever found it. Well, very few people have ever found it. So that was whatever. You wanted to make you you wanted to have a beautiful set for the end battle scene. Fine, whatever. Okay. Yeah. And then the other thing that really bothered me. <laughs> Again, <laughs> I'm nitpicking it. I'm not I'm I'm not nitpicking this movie to tear it apart. I want to stress again, I enjoyed watching this movie. But I, I need I need some logic and I need things to make a little bit of sense. The Tom Riddle memory mm. that comes out from the book can take Harry's wand. So it has some type of physical form. <laughs> and he wants Harry dead. 
you have a unarmed wizard and you have his wand. Mm. He yes, you have the basilisk and perhaps you want some type of themed ending to this guy. You want to see the creature that you've helped unleash finish him off. But and I understand Harry's the hero. He's obviously not going to die. But like, if you can hold that wand, just fucking use it. Yeah, I don't. I don't have a concrete uh, way to to dispute any of that. I would say it's entirely possible that a memory does not have the ability to cast actual magic spells using a wand. But again, I'm with you. Why even? Have him take the wand. I guess you need to have him take the wand so you can have your uh, protagonist slay the beast with a sword instead. But then, I mean, there's any number of ways you can get around that. Like, I don't know, have have the basilisk break Harry's wand or, or something. No, it can't. Really anything can't break that wand because that wand's going to come into play later on because it's the only only one that it's only one of two that has a phoenix feather. So look you, at look at who's paying attention to the series. Look at who's paying attention to the Harry Potter series. I love it. Okay, so have the wand have the wand roll away just out of Harry's grasp. Yeah, falls have in the, the water or whatever. His tail knock Harry on his ass and he loses control of his wand and then the sword presents itself fine. But yeah, I agree. Why have why Maybe that's the reason why he can grab the wand is because it's a sister of his own or something. I don't know. There's there, there's some magical canon. There's some Harry Potter encyclopedia where 500 pages into it, there's an explanation of this. I don't sure. fucking know. This, I, is, this is one of the one of the reasons I was nervous about doing the series is I'm supposed to be the Harry Potter expert out of the two of us here. Uh, and I am not. No, <laughs> I no, no. It, it's, a lot of this I stuff. don't I don't need an explanation. I have I have zero problems with the Tom Riddle memory being able to grab the wand. Mm-hmm. That I have no problem with. My only problem is, is why doesn't he use it? That's the only thing. But that's also asking as to, you know, why doesn't so-and-so main villain in any other movie do the one thing that will make them win? Yeah, because right? they need to monologue first and explain their evil plan. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which he does for a long time. Yeah. And that's and that's fine. I understand that that's the way movies work. It's again a little nitpick. For all you Harry Potter fans out there that are listening in and freaking out and making all of every excuse in the world, again, I'm just throwing out things that I noticed as someone that is not a fan of the series. Don't get me wrong, I still enjoyed the movie. I'm just pointing out some things that I had problems with. Much like if somebody had never seen the MCU and watched those movies, there are a thousand things to pick apart. Yep. Particularly, like the one that I always bought that still always bothered me, is how in Guardians of the Galaxy, fucking Groot grows a great big fucking tree ball around them, and they fucking survive a fucking massive crash landing. Yeah, it's bullshit. Yeah, a whole bunch of bullshit. Yep. So there, the movies I enjoy are not immune to this type of uh, inspection as well. So don't get me wrong. I'm not above all that kind of stuff. It's just things that I've noticed and I'm pointing out that just tweaked me a little bit which is what we do here we're nitpickers yeah um that's everything for the big climactic scene uh the um there's the only other okay there's only a couple other things i wanted to touch on but the one i want to touch on first i don't want to get it out of the way is um the fucking spiders fuck me are are you a are you a uh, a fear of spiders person? Are you are you arachnophobic? I used to be. 
Yeah. I used to be an arachnophobe until I moved in with my best friend when I was 20 years old. And I always thought I was an arachnophobe uh, until I met an arachnophobe. <laughs> and spiders just, I, I now realize I'm not an arachnophobe. Um, in fact, in all honesty, if uh, I, I don't have any real phobias. Like, I tell everybody, like, everyone's like, what are you scared of? I'm like, I am scared of needles. I have a hard time getting needle. But I, I can't label it as a phobia because I've actually finally met somebody who has a true phobia. It is disconcerting. What I'm about to say, in theory, sounds funny. But I assure you, in real life, it is not. My best friend is a man, uh, and I'll call him out. His name is Sean Roach. Uh, at the time... He was in much better shape. We were a lot long. He's uh, he's put on a little weight now. No offense, Rochi, if you're listening. Um, but he was a bouncer at a nightclub. He's 6'4", 260 pounds of a solid big man. And seeing a man completely frozen in fear at the sight of a spider to the point that he's trembling and you can see what actual fear looks like on somebody's face, while that sounds funny of a man that size being scared of a little uh, – Technically, I know they're not insects, but a little arachnid. Um, the first time I saw it, uh, a little smile crept across my face until you actually see what fear really looks like. And then it's no longer funny. To see a crippling fear on somebody uh, is a bit of an awakening. And so since him and I were living together, one of us had to step up about uh, with spiders in the house, and it wasn't going to be fucking him. So it was me. So uh, thanks, thanks to my best friend's crippling fear of spiders, uh, I am no longer an arachnophobe. Holy what? shit! <laughs> I I did not know that. So yeah. you're saying that uh, because of your experience uh, with him, your your experience with this movie was moderately easier. Uh, it was definitely easier. Uh, like the, like as an example, I I can't remember. I can't remember the character's name uh, of the giant spider in Lord of the Rings. Uh, Shelob. Thank you. I, in my mind, I was like, it's not, I know it's not Belog. That's what I had in my head. I, I can't believe I know that, like, instantly. You fucking it's nerd. Um, yeah, I know. Actually, her name is Shelob. Yeah. Um, <laughs> my best nerd. Seeing seeing her on screen, didn't like it, I had no problem with it. Uh, the tiny spiders that they follow didn't bother me. The big spider, which I think is Aragog or something like that in here. Some shit like that, yeah. Something like that. Whatever that spider's name is, didn't bother me. But when all of his sons and daughters, as I put in air quotes, they're coming down from the trees and they're kind of in between. They're like dog sizes or like large dog sizes. Those ones bug me. And I Yeah, was, the ones I, who are like repelling from the ceiling. Yes. Yep. Yeah, fuck those guys. That creeped me out. And oh thank you. That's exactly what my note says. That's, my note goes, the spiders, fuck me, like for real, fuck that shit. <laughs> How eloquently put. It was super creepy, really well done, and I was really excited to see how they were going to get out of the situation. And it was a complete fucking letdown that this all of a sudden sentient car came out of nowhere. Um, Yeah, it was maybe perhaps in the early part of the movie, I was having so much fun with the Weasleys that they didn't mention that this car could work and do things on its own. I know that when it got, when they got away from the Whomping Willow, Whomping Willow, Whomping Tree. 
Whomping Willow. Whomping Willow. When they got away from the Whomping Willow, I saw it skedaddle off into the dark forest on its own. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's fucking weird. I'm like, I understand that this car is magical, but it was being operated by a Weasley at all times up until that point. And so that, it, it bothered me. I'm like, it, just set the rules. The thing is, even if the rule is set, it doesn't make it any less of a deus ex machina. Because, again, our characters are not active in the solution of the problem. Yep. Right? Like, they're being rescued. It does not... Like, one of the great things that Chamber of Secrets does is that it robs our main characters of their greatest tool, Hermione. Hermione is a genius with spells. She knows every... She's an A student. She's a bookworm. She knows everything. This movie takes her away from Harry and Ron, and I want to see what they would do in a situation without her knowledge and without her skill set. Yeah, because as great as the Harry Potter saga is, and it's a lot of fun, at times it can feel like the Hermione Granger show. Sometimes she's just like she's just so good at everything that it, it, like I want to see our hero. I want to see Harry Potter do something. So this would have been an excellent opportunity for the two of them to come up with a solution, which maybe maybe wouldn't have been as elegant and magical as Hermione's, but just something a little, some that they would just need to do something a little more pragmatic, I guess would be the the word to use. And instead they just decided that ah, just let the car rescue them. Yeah. Like, I, I don't really care what the rules are for how the car works. It, it still feels, feels still feels lazy. Yeah. It was completely lazy and, and a complete letdown. Um, so what was shaping up to be, in my mind, as I'm watching the movie, I'm like, holy fuck, this is easily going to be my favorite scene in the movie. Uh, mm-hmm. Was not even close. It was a complete fucking waste of my time. You know what I will say, though, is that even though there's all these deus ex machina, in, uh, especially in the, uh, the Chamber of Secrets, uh, I, I liked how this scene looked with the spiders, and I liked generally the look of the uh, basilisk battle. Uh, even even though there are elements of it with the storytelling that felt very cheap, mm-hmm. um, I, I at the very least like the looks of it, and it, it felt like a more grandiose conclusion, uh, especially when compared to the Philosopher's Stone. The Philosopher's Stone's conclusion uh, also gets done pretty quick, and not a lot happens. Yep. So right. I, I think comparatively they wanted to go bigger in scale, but they uh, they cheapened out on the writing because they wanted to do so much earlier. Yep, I, I'm with you on that. Uh, and the only other thing I want to touch on is a completely minor moment, uh, but again, it's just uh, it, it it harkens back to the previous episode about something that Hermione did that I love, and that's the cliche of the know-it-all student who's raising her hand and knows all the answers, but they mm-hmm. won't call upon her. Well, at the end of this episode, uh, Dumbledore announces that all exams have been canceled. Everyone cheers, and you can see Hermione is completely upset and devastated by the news. <laughs> yeah, she's pissed. Yeah, she's completely pissed, and it's a little. She's she's in the background. It wasn't. It didn't even focus on her to highlight her feelings. She's mm-hmm. in the background with Harry in the foreground, and I'm like, oh, again, mm, Chef's kiss to Emma Watson in a fantastic character moment. Yeah, it's funny. I think maybe one more of the reasons why. This one sort of falls down the list for me is we talked about how Alan Rickman as Snape is a little bit underutilized Um, as great as it is that uh, Hermione is taken away from our is taken away from Harry and Ron so that we can see how they do without her. That doesn't change the fact that Hermione Granger, I think, is a great character, and I, I, I missed having her around for the back half of this movie. Mm, which actually leads me back to the one other thing I actually wanted to touch on. Um, my last note, I forgot to talk about it earlier on. Um, there's an incredibly touching and poignant scene with Hermione and Hagrid 
after Draco calls her mudblood. It's mm-hmm. Hagrid really supporting and reassuring Hermione about her being a mudblood was actually truly touching. It's it a was. really great scene and really kind of helps. Sh- it was a great way to show and tell kind of younger kids and younger viewers that that word is hurtful, but it doesn't mean that's who you are. Your blood does not define who you are. Um, and it's, it's one of, uh, it's it's just a really great moment in in the movie that I that uh, I just wanted to touch on. You're right. Hagrid is is a is a great character in a lot of this movie. He's he's always so blindly loyal to mm-hmm. this group of kids, and there, there's a lot of love between them. You feel it in that scene in particular, which is why when he sends them to the forest to see his spiders. That then attack them. I didn't love that. I forgot to mention that part. Yeah, it's kind of fucked up. Hagrid's like, yeah. uh, I mean, obviously Hagrid's concerned with clearing his own name, but he sends these three children into, or these two children into the forest to an army of spiders that he knows are waiting to eat people, and he he does it anyway. Yep. That that's messed up. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. But generally, yeah, Hagrid, good guy. They uh, they seem to get over it pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, um, that's only... everything I got with one other minor exception. Yeah, sure. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there's a post credit scene in this movie. I didn't. And then, uh, as I was re- researching for this episode, yeah, it came up. I, I did not realize only Harry Potter movie with a post credit scene, apparently. Yeah. I just happened to leave it running because I think I was texting a friend or something like that. And all of a sudden the scene starts like, what the fuck? But it's just this minor, uh, throughout the movie, uh, you see, fuck, what's his name again? Lockhart. Thank you. You see Lockhart. Uh, he's got. He's uh, very famous. He's got these books, and uh, because his uh, his spell backfired on him, he loses his memory, and so it just it just shows this book outside of a bookstore with him in a straight jacket, and I can't remember the name of the book. I it was it's called Who Am I? Yeah, I was like, oh, I'm like, oh, that's funny, and I was like, fuck, I'm like, do I have to go back and watch the other fucking like? Do I have to go back and watch the Philosopher's Store and see if there's a post-credit sequence? No, there's not. Yeah. So I thought that was uh, amusing, but uh, that's ev- that's all my notes on uh, on the Chamber of Secrets. That was back before every movie had to have an end credit scene in it, right? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. Thank you, MCU. Thank you, MCU. Um, I, I don't have a whole lot more. Um, they do decide to use Polyjuice Potion at one point in this movie, which again, like much else in in these movies, will will make many appearances again. Uh, poly, the, the idea of Polyjuice Potion being able to transform you into somebody else is a horrifying idea with a lot of implications that I don't really want to get into right now. Just the fact that somebody could be impersonating me right now if we were in the wizarding world uh, just by getting like a strand of my hair and being able to brew this stuff. I feel like this stuff would be <laughs> this stuff would be commonplace on store shelves and pharmacies like, uh, I'd be right. You want to set up? You want to set up a million dollar business? Just go get you some poly. Ju- just go brew yourself some polyjuice potion and wait for the bucks to roll in. Yeah, because I would be fucking Ryan Gosling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Or Ryan Reynolds, one of the two Ryans, or or one of the Chris's. Make me a Ryan. Make me a Chris. Yeah. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, for an hour? Fuck, that's more time than I usually need anyways. Okay. Uh, 
Um, oh, uh, sorry. One, one teensy tiny more thing, and I think that's going to be the end of it. I'm just going to scroll through my notes and make sure that I've talked about everything. Yeah, okay. So the last thing I wanted to talk about, you won't know this because it hasn't come up yet. It doesn't come up, I think, until the fourth movie. Um, there's, there's a killing curse. There's, one, there's a curse that if you say... Uh, it, it's illegal to do as a wizard, basically. If you say it, it kills somebody, and that's Avada Kedavra. If you say that and point your wand at somebody, dead. That's that's the curse that Harry survived. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the end, when uh, Harry frees Dobby from Lucius, he he when he's pointing his wand, he says Avada, and then Dobby snaps it away from him. Like he was about to murder this man in broad daylight in a school over freeing his slave. I had not noticed that before before this watch. <laughs> he was straight up about to murder a student at a school. He that was. That would have been a would have been a little bit difficult to clean up. It would have been the. I, I I do have a note on that in the research I did for this. Please. Uh, and it's because uh, Jason Isaacs. That's the only spell that he had seen or heard of. So yeah, he just I'd, said I'd it. Heard he, he just finished reading the fourth book as the second movie was filming, right? Yeah. So that's the only thing he used. That's the only one he knew. So that's what he used, and they. Yeah. I guess they just allowed it not knowing that this guy was about to murder a child. Yeah. <laughs> would have been uh, would have been a poor decision, I think. I think in retrospect Dobby really did Lucius he did him a solid in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh you got any anything else uh before we get into trivia? Are we all done? No, I'm good. Okay, perfect. Okay, uh trivia uh the line I didn't know you could read that Malfoy says to Harry disguised as Goyle was actually improvised because Tom Felton forgot his line. Yeah, brilliant moment. That's uh that's a frequent one passed around uh Harry Potter fan circles. That's that's up there with you, you know in Lord of the Rings when uh, when Aragorn or Aragorn kicks the helmet and he actually breaks his toe. Yep, and his scream that's, is real. That's, that's up that's up there on the same level in the Harry Potter fandom for like uh, facts of improvisation that are that are passed around. Nice, I love that kind of stuff. Uh, <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe was initially only offered one hundred twenty five thousand dollar one hundred twenty five thousand pounds, which is about one hundred eighty one thousand dollars for this movie. Uh, the Actors Union Equity stepped in and negotiated new terms and increased his salary to two million pounds. Yeah, that's a modest increase. A little bit. Um, executive producer and director Chris Columbus. Instru- this is something I wanted to talk to you about because I didn't quite notice it. Um, executive producer and director Chris Columbus instructed cinematographer Roger Pratt to bring a darker, a darker look to the movie, reflecting the darker tone of the story. Hence, the sets were lit with more subtle, with more subdued lighting, and the color palette, color palette. Wow, I'm having a rough time. Was desaturated a bit. These changes would continue throughout the franchise, with each movie getting darker and increasingly desaturated. I did not notice this change, but. In retrospect, looking at it, perhaps the reason I didn't notice it is because of the locations that they were using. They were in that one bathroom that was closed, so obviously there wouldn't be lights, so it was obviously darker. They're down in a cave, so it would obviously be darker. They're in the dark forest a little bit more, so it would obviously be darker. So, I don't know. Like it, I, I get this note, but on the same time, I'm like, it's also the set you're using? So I I didn't quite while it's obviously darker in tone I I didn't I honestly didn't see any desaturation whatsoever. I'm not saying there wasn't any, 
but it was not noticeable to me. Yeah, I, I'm with you. It doesn't feel like a big difference. And for me, again, I always kind of group uh, one and two together in my mind as like the Chris Columbus Harry Potters. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, these two are the most tonally and visually similar uh, to each other. They're, they're more similar to each other than they're more similar to any of the other movies, if that makes any sense. Yeah, So gotcha. I, I, I always just group them together, so I'm never really looking for those sorts of differences. All right, fair. I don't know if that's a good enough reason. Fair enough. I just wanted to see if I just wanted to see if you had seen a difference or noticed. No, anything. I, I hadn't. I hadn't really, to be honest with you. You're right that a lot of the sets that they're on are darker, uh, but it it didn't feel unnatural or anything like that. It yeah. didn't feel like oh, they're making an effort to make it darker. <laughs> yeah. Okay. You know I mean, cool. Um, Zoe Wanamaker, uh, who played Madame Hooch, uh, didn't appear in this movie. As Wanamaker found the salary unsatisfying, her character was written out by giving Hooch's speaking lines to Professor McGonagall. Uh, Jason Isaacs provided the voice of the basilisk, calling to its victims. Chris Columbus thought Isaacs was so good at doing voiceover work, he asked him to create a creepy-sounding voice for the basilisk, considering the book only describes it as a hissing sound. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, this, this one hurt me. During the filming of the scene where Crab and Goyle eat the floating cupcakes, Jamie Waylett and Josh Herman cut their mouths on the hooks which were used to attach the cupcakes to the fishing line that was holding them up. Fucking ow. Yeah. Oh my god. By the way, Crab and Goyle are stupid, so it's not it's not outside their character. But come on. You see a floating cupcake, you're like, I'm going to eat that. Uh, well, the first thing you think. Well, if I don't know if you remember it, this and this it, it the idea kind of bothered me, but they were coming out of the feast room and they were holding a shit ton of them in their hands anyways. And with a room with floating candles, I would have to assume floating cupcakes is not uncommon. I guess that, that that's why like what I've, I thought the same thing as you, but when I, when I kind of piece it together, I'm like, nah, it doesn't bother me as much. That's one of the tough things about this world is you don't really know what's out of the normal and what and what isn't. Yeah. Like there's a line where Hermione tells Harry, even in the wizarding world, hearing voices is not a good sign. Yes. <laughs> Which is great. But that, that's sort of how I feel about that. Uh, this was another moment that I really enjoyed, and it was kind of heightened by this note as well. Uh, Lucius's and Harry's exchange just before Lucius leaves Dumbledore's office was not in the script, but completely improvised by the actors on the spot. Jason Isaacs thought he should say something, and Chris Columbus told him to try something. Isaacs quipped, let us hope that Mr. Potter will always be around to save the day. And Daniel Radcliffe immediately replied, don't worry, I will be. This ended up in both the final cut of the movie and the trailer. Badass. Yeah. That's got to feel good as an actor when you improvise something and it shows up in the final product and in the trailer, no less. Yeah. It's got to feel good. Um, Casting what ifs. I've got a couple for you. Uh, Eddie Redmayne, who was cast as Newt Scamander in The Fantastic Beasts, uh, he auditioned for the role of Tom Riddle. Nailed the pronunciation. Well done. Thanks. Uh, Hugh, Hugh Grant was originally cast as Gilderoy Lockhart, but was forced out to withdraw at the last moment because of a scheduling conflict with two weeks' notice. He would have been a good one. I think yeah. that, that he, he could have played that. That's definitely up his alley. Mm-hmm. Um. Jason Isaacs originally auditioned for Gilderoy Lockhart, but Chris Columbus asked him to try for Lucius Malfoy too. Isaacs didn't want to because it was too similar to his role as Captain Hook 
in the movie Peter Pan, but was too polite to say no. When he was offered the part, Isaacs almost turned it down, but family members convinced him to do it. I'm, I'm glad that he did. I, uh, Lucius Malfoy is a recurring character in the series and a good one at that, in my opinion. I love him in this movie. He's perfectly cast. I'm glad he took it. Yeah, he, he's great, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of him because I'm a big fan of him. Uh, and this last one is a great casting what-if and kind of a really kind of a dick move. Um, Alan Cumming revealed that he'd been offered the role of Gilroy Lockhart in the movie, but when he learned from his agent how much more money Rupert Grint, with whom he shares an agent, would be getting paid, he refused to sign on as he would not agree to be paid less than a 12-year-old amateur. Oh, I, what a fucking prima donna. <laughs> right? At that, at that point in time... The Philosopher's Stone had already made a hundred bazillion dollars. I think we established it made a billion dollars approximately, right? Correct. Yeah. So you know how profitable the series is, and you know that you are not the face of this franchise. I think you can take the L on this one. I think you can let Rupert have it. Yep. Yeah. Whatever. I know. What a <laughs> when I read that, I'm like, oh, what a dick. What a yeah, dick. Um, all right. Favorite quote. I have three. Okay, go for it. Uh, the, oh, here, here's the name of the spider. The name of the spider is Aragog. Aragog? Yeah, Aragog. So uh, he goes, go? I think not. My sons and daughters do not harm Hagrid on my command, but I cannot deny them fresh meat when it wanders so willingly into our midst. Goodbye, friend of Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eerie line. Yep. Uh, an, a line that you actually mentioned earlier, Arthur Weasley. Now, Harry, you must know all about muggles. Tell me what exactly is the function of a rubber duck? <laughs> the first question you would ask somebody from the muggle world. Yes. Uh, and then this one's from Dumbledore. It is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It is our choices. And that is going to be my favorite quote. Yeah. I mean, Dumbledore just has such a way with words. Yeah, uh, I will note this was the last uh, movie in the saga with um, I'm sorry, the actor's name escapes me right now. Richard Harris. Yeah, Rich, this is the final uh, performance of Richard Harris as Dumbledore, which is too bad. We get Michael Gambon after this, who does a fine job. But if you ask basically any fan of the franchise, Richard Harris is the is the better of the two. It, uh, it's really too bad. We couldn't see him uh, see it through. Mm hmm. Uh, best quote candidates for me, I have four. Two of them are shared with you. Uh, one of them is what you just said. It's not our abilities that show what we truly are. It's our choices. Another one is Arthur Weasley. What exactly is the function of a rubber duck? Um, one is the altercation between Harry and Lucius at the end. Okay. Harry, it's more just so, uh, the, the line reading from Lucius, how fantastic it is. Harry says to him, I think you slipped it into Ginny Weasley's cauldron that day at Diagon Alley. And then Lucius looks at him and says, you do, do you? Why don't you prove it? Yep, I can hear Jason Isaac saying it. Brilliant. <laughs> menacing, at, menacing as fuck. Love that line delivery. And then the last one that I have is when they're on their way to Aragog, um, after Hagrid has told them to follow the spiders, Ron says to himself, why did it have to be follow the spiders? Why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? <laughs> yeah, that came really close to making my list. Yeah, all of those so good. Some really good ones. Um, oh, gosh. Um, at the risk of being unoriginal, I, I think the Dumbledore quote uh, towards the end really summarizes uh, the movie. It really wraps it up in a neat little bow. And uh, the fantastic line delivery by Richard Harris. Uh, Got to go with, it is not our abilities that show what we truly are. It's our choices. Awesome. Uh, favorite scene? I, only, I only have two. 
Okay. Uh, Harry goes to the Weasleys and the duel. And my favorite scene is when Harry goes to the Weasleys. The duel, the duel was really close only because of Rickman. Yeah, it's one of the few times we get to see Alan Rickman shine in this movie. Um, I have three. I actually have the two that you have. So I have the duels. <laughs> and then I, I actually got a little bit more specific. Uh, in particular, the moment at the Weasleys when Ginny sees Harry for the first time and just freezes. Yeah. I laugh at that audibly every time. Oh, it's, uh, fan- it's fantastic. In, in general, in general the, the whole Weasleys house sequence is a lot of fun as well. Um, and then the third one I actually had was the spider scene. Um, I agree that the deus ex machina does cheapen it a little bit, but it's still very, very creepy and very effective through the entire thing. Uh, I'm going to go with the Weasley's house. Nice. Me too. Wicked. Um, the one note I actually, I want to touch on, I I, actually, I took it out of, uh, out of my notes, but I want to touch on it because you, we both kind of touched on the spider scene as well is, uh, Rupert Grint is a real arachnophobe. And so his fear in that scene is real. And while yeah. a lot of the spiders uh, were obviously CGI, um, he said just the thought of the spiders being in there with him l- allowed him to give that type of performance. And I was astounded at the time. I was like, I'm like, he's doing pretty good. <laughs> yeah, that, that line, why couldn't it be follow the butterflies? fantastic by him yeah i think i think rupert grint uh is already showing a bit of improvement in this movie yeah i like i like him i like him yeah Uh, all right closing credits are there any oscar worthy performances in this film nope and get used to hearing that answer uh no uh (laughs) what other aspects of the film are award worthy are are award worthy um i i'm not too sure i'm not worth i'm not sure where the visual effects of this movie compared to that of the time. Okay, hold on. Uh, this is 2002, so this would have been uh, the second Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah. I don't know. My, my instinct, at the very least, would be to say some of the visual effects, um, but I can understand why it didn't as well. It, The movie honestly operates like more of a mystery movie at times than it does a fantasy movie, so for that reason, I can, I can get it. Yeah. Best visual effects that year, Lord of the Rings, Two Towers, Spider-Man, and Star Wars Episode Two. Yeah, I mean, in ret- in 18 years retrospect, this movie has better visuals, arguably, than Attack of the Clones. It's that final battle on Geonosis and Attack of the Clones, which is all green screen, looks so fucking bad. It, it looks so fucking bad. It does, but also remember... But for, the, for the time, it would have been groundbreaking. Yeah, but also, like, think back to the battle between Obi-Wan and Jango Fett. That's all yeah. green screen, and that's fucking unbelievable, especially, yeah, was- especially the water. Right, so while the end scene not that great, there's a lot of other really incredibly good uh, CGI in that movie. So, um, I I can't. Uh, while I, it's it's still they're still using some of John Williams' score. I didn't find the score to be as good in this one. No, it didn't stand out nearly as much to me. Yeah, I so, think he, he does score at least one of the other movies. Right? I think he scores three as well, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I think I remember reading somewhere that he does one of the other ones as well. Yeah, um, yeah so I, I can't... I, there wasn't anything in here that really stood out to me that award worthy. Uh, what was the weak link of the film? Uh, Deus Ex Machina. Uh, the writers of this movie really need to know how to write a plot to conclusion. You, you 
in order that's not to say deus ex machina is never a bad thing or that it can never be used but it just when you use it as the primary solution to a number of your main plots including the a plot of the movie in the in the chamber of secrets it just it completely robs your protagonist of the ability to make choices which is where character comes from. That's exactly what Dumbledore was saying. Character comes from making choices. Mm -hmm. That's true in real life, and it's true in stories. That's how we develop character. And you, when you rob your main character of the ability to make choices and solve problems for themselves, it completely cheapens the tension of the movie. So, uh, deus ex machina. I'm with you 100%. I, I couldn't have said it better. Kudos to you, my friend. Was this anybody's career highlight? Uh, no. It was going to be no. Yep, big time no here. I would certainly hope not. MVP of the film. Hmm. That is a tough one for me. I think both of my MVPs, I think my MVPs from last week were Emma Watson and John Williams, and both kind of take a back seat in this movie. Yep. I'm not totally sure, honestly, where I want to go with this. Do you have an answer? I'm going to go, I'm just going to, I'm going to give it to Jason Isaacs as Lucius Malfoy. I really want to give it to Arthur Weasley because I fucking love my time with the Weasleys, but he's barely yeah. in it. Yeah, he's but, not in it enough. But Jason Isaacs, every time he's on screen, I'm a fan. So I I'm going to give I'm going to give him my MVP of this film. Cool. We can go with that and I am happily going to steal your answer on that cuz you're you're just right. He is the MVP. Uh what will be this film's legacy? Uh, in my mind, the legacy of this movie is that it's the worst of the franchise. Nothing wrong with that. I mean, one of them has to be. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's still a perfectly enjoyable movie. It, it's a darker turn than the original. But it, in my mind, there are people who don't consider this to be the worst. I'm not one of them. I, I, think, it, I think it's the worst. Uh, I am unqualified to answer this question. That you are. Got uh, would you watch this movie again? You bet your ass I would. I will not. Unless I'm, unless I'm doing a complete series rewatch, there is... In the, the, the back two-thirds, or the back, uh, I guess the back 75% of this series better wow you if you're going to rewatch these ones. Yeah, this is uh, not a chance. There's, hmm. there's no circumstance whatsoever where I'd be like, I think I'm going to put on Chamber of Secrets today. No. Not a chance. Would you recommend this movie to friends? Yes, I would if they were fans of the Harry Potter franchise. I would do the same. Otherwise, the answer is an easy no fucking way. <laughs> no fucking way. There's a fucking in there. No fucking way. This movie, it's not that great. As a movie of in and of itself, it's not that great of a movie. It's, mm -hmm. Especially with that many uh, Dusas Maxinas. There's no fucking way I would ever recommend. So I'm like, hey, watch this movie where shit gets resolved for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> uh, final thoughts. Uh, this movie... I've definitely, as sad as it is, I've definitely spent more time kind of shitting on this movie than I anticipated. Uh, I, I, in retrospect, I'm kind of feeling bad because I still did enjoy this movie. I've enjoyed the world building. I've enjoyed the things they're doing. I guess maybe the movie feels so weak because the things that I enjoy the most, uh, which is obviously Snape and Hermione, were uh, taken away. Uh, but we, we didn't really touch on some of the other people. Kenneth Branagh is an absolute joy to watch. He's having the time of his life playing an over-the-top character. Jason mm -hmm. Isaacs, his character is introduced as Lucius Malfoy, and he is spectacular, as Jason Isaacs always is. 
we got to see the growth of some of the characters. There's, like you said, it was a little bit of a mystery. We got the introduction. I, well, I shouldn't say the introduction because we did meet Voldemort on the back of some guy's head. We got to see <laughs> it. We got to see his memory, and we got to learn a little bit more about him. Uh, the movie is is fine. It's entertaining. If you're looking to watch the Harry Potter franchise, obviously you need to watch it as part of it. As a standalone movie, it doesn't, it just doesn't do it for me. And if, mm. you know what, I'll get into that in the next part. That's that's my final thoughts. Cool. Yeah, I was excited to rewatch Chamber of Secrets, primarily because it's been quite a while since I've seen this one in particular. Um, after this, everything is basically fresh in my mind. Jordan and I actually did a rewatch three through eight because we wanted to skip the first two we did a rewatch three through eight <laughs> while while we were in isolation after after work shut down so probably like three months ago so ni- nice and fresh and everything even before that i had seen them recently so this one is the one i was really excited to rewatch because i knew it had a reputation for not being quite as good as the others uh and i hadn't seen it in a long long time it does have a lot to offer um lucius malfoy is a ton of fun uh even uh, gilderoy lockhart i have memories of not enjoying as a kid uh as an adult uh, i see him as an egotistical dirtbag which is definitely what the intention is supposed to be he's having a lot of fun um dobby i found slightly annoying this time around but i'm glad that they at least decided to use him in moderation he has only about three or four scenes in this movie he's not completely terrible He's nowhere even close to, like, Jar Jar Binks territory. He's, he's certainly within the realms of reason as far as how he's used. Um, and I, I like the uh, the conclusion as well. Um, I, I alluded to this off the top, but the conclusion, uh, the, Dobby's final scene of him being freed uh, by Harry Potter. Love, uh, I love that. I think that's a, it's a fun scene. And Lucius almost fucking murders Harry over it, <laughs> <laughs> which is hilarious. But yeah, it's still, even though it's a bit darker, it's still one of the sillier of the Harry Potter franchise. We even, believe it or not, get darker after this, which is what I like. It, it does sort of mature and grow with the kids who it's targeted for. This one in particular, not one of the stronger entries. Some real storytelling problems, especially towards the end. But there's a lot of fun stuff in there, a lot of fun... Um, aspects of the wizarding world are introduced uh like you said we get to see Voldemort, and we'll be seeing that guy more and more as i'm sure you can imagine a little what What uh, do you mean I, I thought he was killed oh yeah sorry he's uh he was killed in this just like he was killed in the first one so yeah that's that's the last we see of him oh the the end and harry lived happily ever after the the last six movies are just the three of them holding the, hands the, the last six movies are just them happily ever after yeah that's 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 the last six movies what an incredibly bold choice by the filmmakers <laughs> i would have gone a completely different direction but you know what it paid off no, so obviously, uh, so things are going to get more tense from here. But there are annoying aspects of this movie. There are aspects that drag on, and there are some really fun ones. Uh, it's it's a mixed bag, I guess would be the best way to describe it. It's also the longest of all the Harry Potter movies at whatever it was, two hours and 41 minutes. Yeah. So a wise decision to cut it back. Um, there, there was a note that I had, actually, that um, this one, uh, The Chamber of Secrets, is the second shortest book i think or maybe even the shortest book and it's the longest movie and order of the phoenix the fifth movie is the longest book and i think the shortest movie interesting (laughs) yeah so they they kind of i think learned their lesson after this one but hey there's there's still a lot to offer for sure fair enough uh all right sam ratings i'll i'll go first okay um i gave this movie a three 
it okay. only I'm glad it only gets a three because it's part of a story. As a standalone film, this would uh, I would love to fucking slap a great big two on this thing. No. The 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 uh, the contrivances with the plot is a problem. Uh, there's just a lot that I I had a problem with, but I found myself enjoying it. And again, the strength of this movie doesn't have me clamoring to put the next disc in right away to see what happens next. So I'm still on board. I'm still enjoying these movies. It gets a three. Again, only because it's part of an ongoing storyline. As a movie itself, This I would love to just fucking take a bat and slap a two on this fucker. <laughs> I, I'm not surprised it gets a three. I am happy though because I, I did suspect it might delve into two territory for you. This is, uh, I think, much like Philosopher's Stone, one of the easiest threes in the world for me. It's, uh, it, it definitely gets a little bit of a boost for being a part of my childhood, uh, and for being part of a story that was part of my childhood. But this is a fine, entertaining movie with some serious problems, but overall good. Easy three. Nice. All right, that wraps up chapter two of our Harry Potter miniseries for uh, Sam and I. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. We – oh, I already, fucking, I already fucked that up. Uh, fuck it. I'll just keep going, then we'll, I'll finish it this way. So if you remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, uh, give us that five-star rating, and remember to give us a positive rating as well, a positive review. Sorry, it will increase the profile of our podcast, allow more people to find us. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Sam underscore Manny underscore movie. You can email us at sammanymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook as well, the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast. I promise we will not spam your feed. We're not that active on there, but we're still looking for people. Maybe I should pick up our social uh, our social media presence, and maybe we'll get more people instead of just hoping that other people do the work for me. Sure. Sam, what's going on next week? Next week, uh, episode three of our miniseries. Uh, it's going to be episode 117 of our show. We're going to be talking about Prisoner of Azkaban. I am very excited for this one. We get Alfonso Cuaron in the director's chair. Uh, and uh, obviously he's a big deal. He just won Best Director a few years ago for Roma, I believe. So uh, I am I'm very excited to talk about this one. This, in my opinion, is where the series gets going. So nice. I'm looking forward to it. Nice. And uh, it's potential. We'll have uh, potential. We'll have somebody joining us. Yes, potential for a guest. We'll leave that maybe uh, mysterious because I haven't gotten actual confirmation yet. But yeah. it's a it's a near near certainty. I would say. Perfect. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward. You seem excited for this next episode, so I am. hopefully uh, hopefully, I'll enjoy it as much, or maybe I'll slap a one on this fucker. <laughs> <laughs> Doubt it. I'm going to now just because you said that. Yeah, sure. All right, so for the Samuel Manuel Movie Podcast, I'm Manny Manuel. Dobby is a free elf. I'm Sam Reimer. Adios! <laughs>